We're still going through the book of Galatians. Uh, Pastor Troy was here last week, and I was able to listen to that sermon. He did a remarkable job, as I knew he would do, and I'm trying to stay in that same vein that he was in. We're in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. He said, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Although you began with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you suffered so many things for nothing? if indeed it was for nothing. Does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who believe are blessed along with Abraham the believer. For all who rely on doing the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not keep on doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous one will live by faith. <clears throat> but the law is not based on faith. But the one who does the works of the law will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. I hope... <clears throat> Through that reading, you are incredibly overwhelmed. Anybody? There's a lot going on there. Okay? Just, just a quick reference to what all is going on there. Um, I want to share with you uh, how many scripture references are right here. So you got a reference to Genesis chapter 12, also Genesis chapter 15, you got a reference here to Deuteronomy chapter 22 and Deuteronomy chapter 27. You got a reference to Joel chapter 2 and a reference to Habakkuk chapter 2. Are y'all ready to go from Genesis 11 to Habakkuk chapter 2? Me either. So we're not going to do that. But I want you to know that in order for you to get this we're going to have to have more than Sunday's sermon. Y'all okay with that? So if you want Sunday's sermon, we're about, I'm about to give you that, but if you want more of this, it's impossible to get without familiarizing yourself with the entire story. Genesis, Deuteronomy, Habakkuk, Joel, Acts. But we'll get a sermon out of it. We don't think faith is enough, and neither did the Galatians. Troy mentioned this last week. We do not think faith is enough. Why do we not think faith is enough? 
Kathy? Yeah, because the same Bible where we get that faith should be enough is the one where we get uh, a lot of rules, right? So it looks pretty conflicting. The same Bible that says we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves lest anyone should boast is the same Bible that says faith without works is dead. But I want to make sure that we don't jump to James and miss what Paul is trying to say here. So, in order to do that, we're going to have a, a brief history to catch us up to where we are. I want to start with this question. What role did you play in being born? What role did you play in being born? My next question is, what makes someone a sinner? Thank you, Alex. Being born. So is someone made a sinner based on a choice that they have made? Kathy says yes, Alex says no. What role did you have in being born, Kathy? Did you have a role to play? Alex? No role? Steve? Not that me either, right? Not that I'm aware of. So let those sit out here for just a second. We'll come back to those questions. God created us good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. When God makes man, this man and woman at this time, man, mankind, he not only said this is good, he said this is very good. The only thing that God had ever created that was very good. Not long after that, though, there's this whisper that creeps into the human story. This whisper I like to refer to as the ancient whisper. It's the same whisper that is still whispered today. As a result of this whisper, there was a seed unleashed throughout the world. This seed would inevitably result in death. We'll see it happen in just a second. Not only did it result in the death of individuals, but it resulted in entire systems being constructed that were deathly. Here's the whisper. You've heard me talk about this before. God is withholding something from you. That's the whisper. It's a lie, but believing that lie, believing the lie that God is withholding something from us, unleashed death through individuals and erected systems of death throughout the world. There's a word then that comes into play that should have never come into play in the Genesis story. This is called the primeval history from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11. This word is the word curse. Curse. Five times from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, this word curse appears. Now why has the word curse come? 
Anybody want to help me? Yeah. So something has happened as a result of the actions of man that has taken man from blessing to cursing. And we see it happen very quickly, right? Um, we'll talk about it in just a second. What's interesting, though, is in Genesis chapter 12, there's a new word that comes on the scene. And this word appears five times in Genesis chapter 12. Guess what the word is? It's not curse. Someone would help me? Bless. Thank you, Lachey. Bless is the word. Bless is a biblical term implying something like the reversal of sin's curse and the restoration of creation's fullness. Since Adam's unfaithful act that led him to hide from God, a cursed seed had been passing down from generation to generation. This seed was passing through from the father to the children. Okay? The, I call this the serpentine lie, which is just oh, another way of saying the lie from the serpent. The, the serpentine lie came something like this. God is withholding something from you. If you want to be like God, you must eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The manifestation of this lie just one generation later was the envious murder of Abel by Cain. One generation later. Okay, so, humanity is made in the image of God. Very good. Given an assignment to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. When Adam gives in to the lie of the serpent that God is withholding something, the next generation, his children, Cain and Abel, wind up in this envious conflict that leads to death. Now, if we can pay attention here, we can learn something about sin. So I want you to pay attention with me. I'm, I'm going to move pretty quick today. It's not, not a long talk, so stick with me. If we pay attention here, we can see sin exposing itself. What does sin want? Sin wants us striving. Sin wants us envious. Sin wants us jealous. Sin wants us murdering. So how many of us have ever been overwhelmed by sin? I certainly have. Why, though? Why does sin want us striving and jealous and envious and murderous? Because if we can get there, we are a living embodiment of the lie that God is withholding something from us. <clears throat> Jesus said something in John chapter 17, verse 3, that was very interesting. He said, This is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is knowing God. Eternal life, according to Jesus, is knowing God. What God has intended all along for humanity is this thing called communion. What we most often participate in is this practice called mediation. We don't like communion. We like mediation. What do I mean? God had intended, even in the, in the, in the story of the, the Exodus, he had intended to have all the people be high priests. And you know what the people said? They said, we don't want to be a high priest. We want to send somebody else on our behalf. We don't want to face you, God. We just want to live our way over here and do what we want to do over here and let them have communion with you and just tell us what it's like to have communion with you. The same thing happened with the law. So the law was supposed to be this thing that was our schoolmaster that brought us into communion, but it wound up being the thing that separated us from God. So now we were just worried about being obedient, just be obedient, just be obedient. Like So now the rules became the thing we worshipped. So the, the, the tablet is what I worship, not the God of the tablet, but the tablet itself. And I know that I'm good if I am obeying the rules. If I'm obeying the rules, I'm good. So I have this distance between me and God. I, I don't want to have communion with God. I need this separation. Something about this separation keeps me able to do what I want, but then keeps God at like this, uh, I've got God sort of held hostage to do what I need when I'm, when I'm in some trouble, Right? But all along, God has wanted communion. He's wanted communion. He's wanted communion the whole time. What is eternal life? That we finally are able to obey all the commands? No. What is eternal life? That we finally understand how to mentally ascend to believing the right thing so that we can be saved. No, right? What is eternal life? That we would know him. This is a communal word. God has never desired for humans to live mediated, impersonal, robotic existences. God has never desired obedience simply for obedience' sake. Imagine this. I was imagining this scenario this morning. Imagine you had a child who did everything you wanted them to do but wouldn't talk to you. I'm talking about they weren't disrespectful. That when they came in, this is what I want him to do. This is what I want Robertson to do. Come in. Take your shoes off, son. Go let the dog out. Um, come into the kitchen and let's get a snack. What if he came in? Just came in. Shoes off. Dog out. Upstairs, snack, read, play, nap. But he never interacted with his old man. How many of y'all would enjoy that with your child? Because what we want out of our children is not obedience. Certainly that helps. We don't want them to be disobedient. We don't want them to be jerks, but... But even when they are, and they are, we want fellowship. 
As those created in the image of God, we have always been designed for love. We've always been designed for the relational giving of ourselves away. After the fall, though, something disrupted us entirely. We still desired God, but we also desired things contrary to God. There was still something in us that said, I want God, but then there was something in us that said, I want something that ain't God. Not only did we have a will where we could choose right or wrong, but we had desires and urges coming from within leading us into wrong. And until the fullness of this promise to Abraham could come, we were given this schoolmaster to teach us what we should want. Do y'all know what the schoolmaster was? Not the principle. Some, the law. Thank you, Ryan. God saw that there was this promise given to Abraham. It's important that we get this, y'all. There's this promise given to Abraham. In your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What does that mean? In your seed, Abraham, I'm redeeming everybody that's ever been cursed. Some of you need to hear this. Because how many of you know that a lot of the reason you are the way you are is because something was handed to you by somebody that wasn't you? Generational curses are a reality. It's a reality. We needed some way to disrupt this flow of curse. The curse kept coming. The curse kept coming. The curse kept coming. We needed some way to disrupt it, to break it, to redeem it. And God said, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. In your seed. What is a seed? That's what it is. Okay? In your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is why the whole circumcision thing became a thing. Because where did the seed have to pass through? You see, this, this ain't just random stuff here. So we're, we're trying to redeem this people. So God picks this person, Abraham, and in Abraham, he's going to make a people. These people wind up being his son Isaac and his son Jacob, who's later named Israel. So these people are coming out of the seed of Abraham. But we find out that there was a seed coming that was not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. That a seed was coming whose name was Jesus. And he was going to be the completion or the fullness of this promise that was made to Abraham. And when this promise became complete, all the nations of the earth would then be blessed, which means that all the nations of the earth would no longer be... Thank you. This is good news. This is what's going on in Galatians chapter 3, by the way. It's a lot going on here. Um, now, I want to I clarify something right quick. Because the Jews, I've tried to, tried to talk about this a lot, but the Jews get a bad rap, especially from people who don't understand Judaism, especially from people who've been Christian who don't actually read the Bible. Somebody said, that's me. Because that's who it is, right? Um, in Jewish thought, to abide within all that was written in the law and do it meant living within the provisions of the law. That meant, though, there were provisions for sin. So the law wasn't this thing where they thought that they would attain perfection and righteousness and holiness through the law. No, the law itself had provisions for sin. They had an entire day of the year called the Day of Atonement. They had entire sacrificial rules to make, uh, to receive uh, this mercy for their sins. They knew that the law wasn't going to perfect them. The law, though, was this way to actually teach them to want what to want. And if they ever got off and didn't want 
to want the right thing, they had these provisions that the law gave them. And then this entire day, once a year, where they could actually go and be made at one at the Feast of Atonement. So they weren't trying to attain perfection by the law. It's important we know this. And here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. He says, the only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Paul is showing us something here. The mark, the seal, the assurance of salvation is one thing. It's the Holy Spirit. He said, did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, here's where things get interesting. Because we've made this, Galatians chapter 3, about our faith. Okay? Um, that we will be justified if we have faith. Uh, that if we can get Believe what, right? Okay, it says, um, the only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law by believing what you heard? Um, does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? This verse 5. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, so my righteousness will come if I believe God. Okay. Believe what about God? Thank you, Judy. What was it? Hit it again. He is. This is exactly it. This is, this is, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, or she, whoever it was. We don't know who it was. That, uh, how's, how's it work, Judy? Faith, um, I'm going to have to read this. Hebrews chapter 11. Stick with me because we're about to be there. We're about to be at the, at the big spot. Caleb, don't be asleep on me over there. It's about to get good. Hebrews 11. Verse 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who approaches God must believe that he is... And that he rewards those who seek him. That he is. That he is what? This is what the Galatians were wrestling with. Believe God about what? Here's what it was about. That what Jesus had accomplished was everything. That what Jesus had accomplished was us plus, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But we don't believe that. Right? Because here's what we want today. We want to take home point. We're sitting here saying, tell us something to do, preacher. Do we need to go get baptized? Well, if we are to get baptized, then should we do it like full immersion or should we sprinkle? Should we hit the babies or just the adults? So we're tangled up again. 
we got a mediator again. And God is just wanting communion. He's just wanting communion. He's just wanting communion. We're like, but which rules? Like, um, okay, so do I do it this way or do I do it that way? He's like, we're missing it again. Every time we try to make it about a thing and we try to mediate ourselves between us and God, we miss the whole thing. This is what Paul's telling the Galatians. He says, who has bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to be made perfect by the flesh? What did you do to receive the Spirit? You just believed that Jesus had already done it all. (laughs) But I want to do something. I got a good news for you. There's no take-home points today. On purpose. It's about to get good, so I hope y'all awake. Here's what has happened. The gospel message, this message that the Galatians were believing, this message that enabled them to receive the Spirit was not something they had to be convinced of. It was not something where this grand orator came in and used science and reason and philosophy and anthropology and convinced people through their oration that this was the truth. It was so true that it didn't matter who said it, it would have such a ripple that it would, it would penetrate spirits and if they'd believe it, the Spirit would come. It didn't require the gift of of anybody else. I was this morning, I was praying, y'all, this is a real life story. This morning, I'm praying and I'm worried about this text because I'm about to say something real wild in just a second, okay? And I'm worried about it. I'm laying, I'm in the floor on my knees and I'm like, God, surely you have used worse ways to tell this story. And I, I felt like the Lord just sort of chuckled. He said, yeah, I've used worse ways. But then I felt like he responded right back and said, I've also used better ways. It was just me and him going back and forth this morning. Um, he'll use any medium to get this truth out. God's right making of the cosmos is not and cannot be achieved through our response of faith. It is rather what elicits faithfulness. God's act is what elicits faithfulness from us. So faithfulness is both God's action and our action. God's faithfulness, not ours. I, I would get into some nuts and bolts here in Galatians. We could have done that, but we're not going to. But No, we're not going to. No, no. The gospel message is all about something that has happened in Jesus as a result of which the world is a different place. And all we have to do We don't have to know all that is different. All we have to do is believe that everything is different. What do you mean? What is different? Well, in this story in particular, he's saying, now all the nations of the earth are blessed. Now we're not going to separate ourselves from Jew and Gentile. Now all of you will be one. There'll be one faith, one baptism, one Lord. There'll be neither Greek nor Jew. There'll be neither slave nor female. There'll be neither uh, barbarian nor Scythian. Sorry, I lost it. So I'm, I'm tearing down all the divides. I'm making you one. This is part of the gospel. But another part of the gospel is that we've been delivered from the curse. That we now, and Alex is going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, we now have been given the ability to be born again. This is what we needed the whole time. Because what did you do, Steve, to be born into sin? You think God don't know that? Oh, I promise you he does. 
which is why he set the thing up to, so that the blessing could now come. We needed a new seed, and we needed a new father, and we needed a new birth. So he said, I'm going to set up a way to get them all. We're going, to get, we're going to have it now through the fullness of Jesus. Now they can be born again. Now they can have a new seed that is the Holy Spirit. And now because of that spirit, they can cry out and really mean when they say, God, you are my father. I am made in your image after your likeness. My desires are from you. My seed is from you. I am like you. But what do we do? That's what we want to know. So God gave us something. He said, I know you're going to want to do something. You're going to want to do something because that's how y'all do. Here's what we'll do. I'll give you two things to do. One of them you can do every week. One of them just do, I don't know, wherever you want to, I guess. Die. All right, here's what we'll do. We'll have this thing called Baptism. What do we do there? You stand there. And somebody takes you into the grave and resurrects you. And no longer then is the, is the suffering of Jesus some vicarious suffering. But now, because you wanted to, to participate, you, you didn't believe that it was enough. Here, participate. That's what we get to do. Take home point today. Let's go get you baptized. If it's too cold, that's what death is, right? But I got a story to tell you. Because here's where we get tripped up. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith to believe that. And and is it isn't part of this my responsibility? Isn't faith my responsibility? I'll tell you something. If I have faith in Steve, does that say something about me or him? Who's it say something about? Steve. He's the trustworthy one. He's the one who keeps his word. He's the one who always comes through when he says he will. That ain't nothing to me. That's his behavior, not mine. We're trying to make faith about us. I, I, I don't believe hard enough. This ain't about getting your mind to ascribe to some kind of historical thing. This thing is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It is something that has happened in every dimension of reality. Yeah. He'll hit you in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, wherever he's got to get you, he'll hit you. You don't believe me, what's about to happen to you? You're about to get hit. I'm about to tell you. I told Alex, if I can tell this story in just a second, this roof may fall in. There's a story about God's people. They were in bondage under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was not only mistreating them, but every time they would, he had them making bricks. And every time they would meet his quota of bricks, he would demand more out of them and demand more out of them and demand more out of them. And so God's people, these people who were supposed to be the blessing to the nations, who were supposed to redeem the world from the curse, are now under the thumb of Pharaoh, not only under his thumb, but he is making them slaves. And God picks Moses out of this group, and he says, Moses, we're going to deliver the children of Israel. We're going to deliver them from Pharaoh. Pharaoh here is representative of all sorts of things. I ain't going to tell you what he's representative of. We'll just let him be Pharaoh for now. 
And the way God does it is he starts sending these plagues. Plagues. I'm from Alabama. Plagues. Did y'all get what I said? Y'all ever had a plague? We just had one, right? And we didn't have a bad one. It was bad enough. The first one, all the water turned to blood. That was plague number one. The second one, the land was filled with frogs. I don't sound too bad. Unless you ever dealt with a bunch of frogs. The third one, this is the one I would have hated. The land, Pharaoh's land, was filled with gnats. God's sending these things to afflict Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will release the children of Israel. And every time after the plague, Pharaoh just comes down harder and harder. The fourth plague comes in. The land is filled with flies. The fifth plague comes in. All of the livestock is diseased except the livestock of the children of Israel. The sixth plague comes in and boils are now on everyone, including the magicians. The magicians now, they've been slipping through the whole time and now it got them. The seventh plague was thunder and hail. The eighth plague was locusts. The ninth plague, a darkness came on the land so much so where according to the scripture you could feel it. And it sat on the land for three days. Y'all know how miserable it has been this week just to have cloudy weather? Can you imagine a darkness so dark you could feel it? But here's where things get interesting. The tenth plague is about to come. And this plague is where a death angel is released over the land and is going to kill every firstborn child and all the firstborn cattle. Things have gotten rough. But it is going to be this move where Moses and the children of Israel are delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh and are able to to begin their journey to the promised land. The land where they're actually going to be able to be the blessing to the nations. But something has to happen. Here's what has to happen. They're supposed to take a lamb, and they're supposed to slaughter the lamb, and they're supposed to take the blood of the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house. And then there's all these complicated things about how to consume the lamb. And what you do, uh, if you don't, there's certain parts of the lamb you don't eat that you need to burn. There's, if your household isn't big enough, you're supposed to join with another household to consume the lamb. So how to consume the lamb has all kind of details. But the one thing that was very clear is take the blood of the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house. That was very clear. Now there's a story the story of these two Jewish men on the night before the Passover. And one of them says, I'm scared. He said, um, I love my son. And I understand that this is supposed to deliver us from Pharaoh, but what if I do it wrong? Like, did, was I supposed to do blood from side? Was the blood supposed to cover the whole thing? 
Um, and the other guy, he's like, I trust the promises of God. I trust Moses has led us this far before. I've seen God work. I can tell that God's on our side. I trust him. I don't have any concerns. He said, you're not concerned about your son? What if you did it wrong? He said, no. I'm resting in the promises of God. And this man comes back. He says, well, I mean, what if we hurt him wrong on how we're supposed to consume the lamb and how we're supposed to dispose of the lamb? What if, what if there, we didn't do it right and somehow it allows the death angel to come in not only to take our firstborn of our cattle, but my beloved child who's now spent years with me. He's my firstborn. He's been with me for a long time. And he says, I'm just ready for this night to be over. And so they go to sleep. And they wake up the next day, and this man wakes up quick. This man's been worried. And you know which house the death angel was able to penetrate? Anybody know? Neither, neither one. Neither one. Neither person in the story. Not the one who was worried about doing it right. Not the one who was resting knowing that it was God's promise. Not the one who was worried about the rules. Both of them woke up to sons who were alive because it was never about their faith. It was always about the blood. We've been made right, and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm 